Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth. I'm trying to figure out what to do with Aaron Judge. Yankee slugger wrote his name alongside Roger Maris in the record books last night. But what does 61 home runs mean right now? Aaron Judge took a while to do it. Seven games, 60 or so at bats to get there in between home runs. In the end, though, I'm left wondering what I'm supposed to make of this. Just a great accomplishment by a great player in a great period of time. Where does it rank all time? Seventh best home run record all time, 61. If Aaron Judge doesn't get to 73 home runs, is he the home run leader? Roger Maris Jr. still thinks he is. He said he doesn't recognize Bonds, McGuire, Sosa. He recognizes Roger Maris Sr. and Aaron Judge as the all-time home run leader. I was a little confused, and i got to be honest with you. I was a little bit annoyed at ESPN and ABC and some others. They weren't alone. In... How big a deal they made Aaron Judge getting to 61 home runs. It's huge. I mean, that's a lot of home runs. It's a great season. I'm a member of the Baseball Writers Association of America, and I'm tempted to go, you know what? Remember this. When Aaron Judge appears on your Hall of Fame ballot, how many home runs did he hit? How great was he in 2022? He hit him at a clip that nobody else could match. But what do we do with Aaron Judge, and what what does history do with Aaron Judge? Bonds, McGuire, Sosa, for a variety of reasons, uh, the most obvious is PEDs, are often disparaged and cast aside as, hey, they didn't break the home run record. Oh, that's not the real record. And I think baseball's got a problem when it comes to that entire era of PEDs. And I know they don't want to do anything about it because they haven't done anything about it. They haven't come out and said, hey, we're going to throw out everything that happened in that era. They haven't come out either and said, hey, it's part of history. We have to keep that era. We have to recognize that era. It happened. It's in the record books. We have to recognize that Bonds, McGuire, and Sosa uh, all time, 73 home runs, 70 home runs, 66 home runs, uh, that those guys were the greatest at what they were doing in their time. I'm, uh, I'm conflicted on this because on one hand, Uh, The New York Yankees, it's a great story. It's a great story for the Yankees. It's a great story for baseball. It's certainly impressive what Aaron Judge is doing. Like, I think today, across this country, people have celebrated in a variety of ways, like how amazing it is that Aaron Judge hit 61 home runs to this point of the season. And, you know, I know it took him some time. I know he looked like for a time he might never get there. I know Roger Maris Jr. just looked relieved when 99 hit uh, number 61. But uh, as Aaron Judge rounded the bases, uh, he rounded the bases carrying a problem for baseball. Baseball 
has a decision to make. Does baseball recognize this as just the American League record? Do the Yankees recognize it as just a franchise record? And if that's the case, why was ESPN and ABC so eager to cut into the programming and make it like Aaron Judge was accomplishing something nobody else had ever done? It was almost as if the 1990s and early 2000s didn't exist when it came to baseball. There was no Sosa who, by the way, hit 63, 64, and 66 home runs in three different seasons. There was no Mark McGuire, who hit 65 and 70 home runs in two different seasons. And last night, as Aaron Judge rounded the bases, there was no Barry Bonds. There was no Cream. There was no Clear. There was no Balco. There was no Victor Conti. It was just Aaron Judge being celebrated as if he were breaking Roger Maris's record or tying Roger Maris's record and passing Babe Ruth to emerge as, uh, you know, with a 61st home run. I want your phone calls, 503-417-7575. I also want grace for each other in this segment because we're not going to agree on what this means and what should be done. Roger Maris Jr. came out immediately after the game last night, and he just stomped all over Barry Bonds, and he stomped all over Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, and he said, hey, those, those records don't count. My dad's record, 61 home runs. And Roger Maris and Aaron Judge now stand tied at 61 atop the all-time single-season home run leaders. Uh, But many others recognize that, like, history happens, good or bad. Like, when we study American history or world history, we don't wipe out things that happen just because they're bad. We look at them, we study them, we learn from them. Can baseball learn from Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa? And can we acknowledge as a society that it actually happened, that baseball coming out of a labor strike in the 1990s with interest diminished turned to Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa first and let those guys carry the sport back to the front page, home run by home run. Sports Center, which had featured dunks and touchdowns, suddenly was featuring home runs. But Aaron Judge... Uh, as he rounded the bases last night, I think he opened a can of worms. And I want your take on it at 503-417-7575. Tell me what you make of what happened last night, what you make of history, what you make of uh, certainly where to put Bonds, Maguire, and Sosa in this conversation. Because in the end, I'm left wondering and thinking about, uh, you know, Aaron Judge... In history, did he accomplish something last night that was never for, before done or maybe only done by Roger Maris? Or did he just move into seventh place among season single-season home run hitters? 503-417-7575 is the phone number. I want to talk about this. I want your take on it. Uh, I obviously want to know what you want to do with McGuire, Sosa, and Bonds in this conversation. But I am also a member of the Baseball Writers Association, and i got to tell you, I have flip-flopped over the years with what to do and how to do it. And I have looked at Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, and I, I looked down upon them for about six or seven years, and then I finally went, well, wait a minute. Baseball let these guys play. You've heard me argue this before. Baseball let them play. Baseball knew that the ball wasn't juiced, the players were juiced. Um, they, you know, as I look back at what happened in baseball history, this all happened. 
The at-bats happened. The home runs happened. It's possible that pitchers were using PEDs as well. And so I'm left kind of wondering, with no rule on the books why McGuire and Sosa and Bonds were hitting all those home runs, there was no rule against PEDs. While they were doing that, um, you know, baseball was complicit. Baseball let it happen. And baseball now has dropped that turd in our lap as a uh, sports culture and said, hey, you guys make sense of it. We're moving on. I want your phone calls. 503-417-7575 is the phone number. Let's go right out to Mark, who's in Canby. Go ahead, Mark. Hey, I got two things. Um, so, one, I'm, I've never been to a Major League Baseball, just with Beavers back when they were here in Portland. But it's super exciting just to watch somebody hit a home run, right? Yeah. So, you know, there's that. The second thing is, does he put the cereal in his bowl before the milk, or does it does the milk and then the cereal? I Maybe don't know. That's why he's able to hit so many home runs. I don't know. What do you do? What do you do at your house? I don't need cereal. <laughs> Is a hot dog a sandwich? That's right. Is that's it or not? A hot dog a sandwich? A hot dog and a sandwich? Yeah, that's my breakfast. No, no, no. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Oh. I don't even want your answer. You're a very disappointing call, Mark and Canby. Come on, raise the bar. That was like about a double-A effort there from Mark. We need, we're in the big leagues here. Come on. Let's go to Darren, who's in Beaverton. Darren, welcome to the program. Hey, John. Uh, yeah, this has always been a real hot topic with me um, just because I remember watching the home run race in 98 with McGuire and Sosa and how everybody jumped on board. Everybody knew these guys were probably juicing and the strike had just finished. And in my opinion, like you said, there was no uh, rules against what they were doing and they saved baseball, man. I mean, everybody was on board. I remember those stadiums. I, I remember McGuire. I grew up in San Diego. He'd come to, to San Diego and play against my Padres and they sell out the stadium every time McGuire or Sosa was in town. And I just, I, I, these guys deserve to be in the hall of fame in my opinion. Yeah. I'm wondering too, with last night's, you know, it sort of opens wounds for people when you see, you know, Aaron judge reach a number like 61. It's a fantastic number. Uh, and it's a you know baseball is built on these kinds of numbers, right? When we talk historically about baseball, I grew up, you know, with the number seven, you know, seven fifty five was burned into my brain. It was Hank Aaron. That's that was the all time home run leader. Uh, we had Roger Maris at sixty one. That was how many home runs he hit. You know, you had Ted Williams hitting you know four oh six, last guy to hit four hundred. You had you know all of these great numbers. Um, in your head when it comes to, you know, uh, baseball history. Baseball is such a statistic-driven sport. Like, I don't know that we get into stats quite the same way in any other sport than baseball. It sort of lends itself to a lot of sitting around, a lot of discussion, um, stats, numbers, and everybody knows 60 feet, 6 inches. That's how far the pitching rubber is from the plate. We all know the bases are 90 feet. We you know, and we sort of accept these things as universal truths. And then here comes the debate. Bonds hits 73 home runs, and we all have to sit around and go, does it count? You know, it happened, but 
with the cream and the clear? Does it count? Steven, where are you on this spectrum here? Uh, I think it counts. I think Bonds is the home run leader. I mean, we don't know exactly if Aaron Judge is fully clean. We don't know. It's a lot of guessing of what we want to think, and it's a lot of revisionist history. Like, we were so excited during the Bonds, the McGuire, the Sosa era that we all bought in and we all jumped into it, and now we all hate it because it was found that they took steroids. Well, people are still taking steroids now. Fernando Tatis Jr. just got suspended for steroids so who's to say that Aaron Judge hasn't found a way to get by the rules? So for me, it happened. I saw it with my eyes, just like USC, when they got their uh, college football titles taken away. I saw them win games. I saw them do this. They are the champions. I saw Barry Bonds hit all these home runs. So for me, he is the home run champion. And it doesn't, to me, it doesn't take away, you know, from what Aaron Judge is doing. Like, I want to say that. Like, it bothered me over the weekend when ESPN and ABC did sort of the picture-in-picture of Aaron Judge's at-bats against the Red Sox. They left a couple of college football games. One of them wasn't that good. The Auburn-Missouri game wasn't that good, so maybe people didn't mind. But it was insulting to me because I you know, I have a remote control. You have a remote control. We've talked about this uh, earlier in the week, but it was almost like they said, no, 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 I know you want to watch college football, but I'm going to force-feed you some baseball just in case. Um, in the end, I know what they want. They don't want you turning the channel. But I felt like it was heavy-handed by ABC and ESPN, especially given that 61 home runs is not, you know, it, it's seventh all time among single season leaders. It's, it's the greatest as a Yankee. He tied Roger Maris. It ties the American League record. Okay, that's cool. But this wasn't like breaking the all-time record for home runs in a sport. And, and I agree with you. I think, you know, we are – you know, attitudes have changed in a number of ways on a number of fronts. Like the attitude when, as it pertains to marijuana, cannabis. We, we talked about it yesterday with Ricky Williams on the show. You know, he was banned from the NFL for using cannabis. He was, uh, you know, there was a stigma that followed him around as he was in his late playing days and had to come back. And then he left football and everyone went, oh, you know, he's a pothead or whatever. And now, now we all kind of look at him a little differently. Probably we all look at the Jailblazers era a little differently as well because of the attitudes towards cannabis. And I think PEDs, you know, Lance Armstrong came along, Barry Bonds came along, Mark McGuire came along, Sammy Sosa came along, others used as well or were accused of using, and I don't condone it. But I also know that like, it's not my job and it's not your job to retroactively police baseball. We can't eyeball Mike Piazza and Gary Sheffield and Mark McGuire and Albert Bell and go, okay, uh, let's just kind of figure out between us who used and who didn't. And frankly, the fact that baseball didn't have rules on the books that outlawed PEDs really bothers me because it's almost like, you know, Bud Selig was in charge of baseball at the time, and I'm looking back and I'm going, like, they didn't care because they were getting fat off those home runs. They didn't care because they knew that this was great for the game and there was interest here. We'll deal with the bill that comes due later. And then the bill came due. And who did they put it on? They put it on the public. They put it on the Baseball Writers Association and said, okay, now keep those guys out of the Hall of Fame. We let them play. We knew they were using, but keep them out of the Hall of Fame. We, you know, this game needs to have some integrity after all. So in the end, I'm looking at Aaron Judge. And the 3-2. Joe deep to left field. This could be it. See ya. He's done it. Number 61. He's been chasing history, and now he makes it.
He and Roger Maris are tied with 61 home runs. Roger Maris Jr. was the happiest guy in the ballpark. He gets to go home now, apparently. But, you know, as Aaron Judge does that, like, in the background of all that, I'm going, what is 61 anymore? Like, baseball has got a problem, and baseball has to figure that out. Like, I wish Rob Manfred in Major League Baseball would just come forth and go, look, we've decided that, it, you know, it wasn't, you know, we're not proud of that era. That era had a lot of problems, but it was within the rules of the game at the time. It helped us move forward as a sport, and we've got to recognize Barry Bonds. We've got to recognize McGuire and Sosa. And when somebody someday hits 74, look out. That'll be a hell of a celebration. Maybe it'll be Aaron Judge. Maybe it'll be him next year. You got the BFT. We got a great show for you. Jaden Grant, team captain, Oregon State, will be on the program 4 o'clock. Be here for it. John Platt, Stanford radio uh, broadcaster, will be with us this hour, coming up in about 15 minutes. I'll ask him about David Shaw and Stanford. We'll give our picks on the Pac-12 front and more. Leave it here. Back to the bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Coming up 3.30, John Platts will be with us. Stanford radio broadcast. David Shaw and Stanford headed to Eugene on Saturday. Saturday night game, late game. Uh, Oregon State headed to Salt Lake City earlier on Saturday. They will play a game that kicks off, I believe, at 11 a.m. Pacific time, 12 noon uh, Mountain Time. Scott's in Vancouver's called in. He wants to talk about home runs. Scott, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, John. I just got a couple things. To me, I think Judge and Maris are the home run leaders, but the more – you talk to and listen to others argue the point. They have good points about the pitchers being on steroids as such. Um, they're facing pitchers on PEDs. But at some time, as far as the Hall of Fame is concerned, I think when you and I are dead and gone, these guys need to be in there so this era is recognized and remembered and just not forgotten about. Mm-hmm. And uh, so others, baseball fans, can remember and recognize what exactly went on during this era. Yeah, I think like that's part of history, right? Like the reason why we study history is we want to understand what happened, we want to learn from mistakes, we want to know like why the world is the way it is today and you know what has happened and you know, I know that we have all learned things in history that obviously in world history and US history that are uncomfortable. Sports history has uncomfortable moments too. We had, you know, segregation in baseball where black players were not allowed to play in professional baseball. We had, um, you know, protests, and there have been some ugly things even in recent sports history that have happened. They still happened. It's important that we learn from them. The Hall of Fame is supposed to be a museum. It's supposed to be a museum that honors the greatest accomplishments in baseball history. I have always felt that the Hall of Fame should include Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, Shoeless Joe Jackson, Pete Rose, you know, players that have even been banned should be a part of it because I think it's I think it's ridiculous to kind of pretend that Pete Rose didn't have more hits than anybody. 
like part of the story of Pete Rose is that Pete Rose was a sensational baseball player who, you know, had more hits than anybody in history. Part of the story of Pete Rose is that Pete was a scumbag and he was a, you know, he's a gambler that couldn't, that couldn't handle himself. Um, I think all of that is important to acknowledge. I also think like if you look back in baseball history and you look at, you know, uh, you know, an era where there were amphetamines that were rampant in, in, in athletics, in particular baseball in the 1960s and early 70s, there was cocaine in the late 70s and 80s. Then it pivoted into PEDs, steroids, HGH. You know, it was, it was the Wild West. And I, I, I cringe. Like, I simultaneously, like, the purist in me agrees with that last caller. Like, if we want to talk about what we think were the pure records in baseball history, you would acknowledge Hammer and Hank Aaron and 755 home runs. You would acknowledge Roger Maris in 61. You know, 61 in a single season. But you can't ignore that Barry Bonds, A-Rod, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, you can't ignore what they did. You can't discount it as having happened because it occurred. Like some uncomfortable and ugly things in history, it happened. And and I was talking to a fr- close friend of mine last night about sort of McGuire and Sosa, and I remember I was a young sports writer. I was working at my second newspaper we had McGuire and Sosa on the front page every day. How, how did they do the night before? Who are they facing today? What pace are they on? Where was, um, where was Babe Ruth? Where was Roger Maris? Where, you know, where were they in relation to you know, everything that was happening and as they were chasing the single-season record? And you know, where are they right now? And we did all that, and everybody was tuned into baseball. And then all of a sudden somebody noticed the bottle of Andro over McGuire's shoulder in the locker. And then it was, what is he using? And what is Andro? And what is, what is Sosa using? And is the bat corked? And then I gather that Barry Bonds, who was a much better baseball player than Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, like Barry Bonds was a fantastic baseball player. Barry Bonds was going to the Hall of Fame whether he used the cream and the clear or not. But... Bonds must have looked over and said, why are those guys getting all the attention? Oh, they're using. That's why. Look at the size of their arms. Look at their heads. They don't fit in their uniforms anymore. Like, I had a pitcher, a journeyman pitcher in Major League Baseball, tell me at the time when McGuire and Sosa were hitting all those home runs and Brady Anderson, remember Brady Anderson, second baseman for the Baltimore Orioles, hit 50 in a season? I had a, a journeyman pitcher. Pull me aside and say, I said, you know, do you think the ball's juiced? Do you think it's the smaller ballparks? Like, we were all trying to figure out what the heck was going on. And he looked at me and he said, it ain't ain't the ball. He goes, it's the players. Players are juiced. And everybody knew it. Baseball knew it. And it happened. And it so happens that baseball was so woefully behind the times. It, It didn't have the rules of cycling. It didn't have the rules of track and field. It didn't have the... You know, World Anti-Doping Agency. WADA wasn't on the scene in baseball. And so baseball was kind of meandering along, and McGuire and Sosa said, all right, we're changing the rules here. And Barry Bonds looked over and said, you know, I can do that better than those guys. I'm a better natural player than those guys. Why are they getting all the attention? I'll just go hit 100 home runs. We'll make a mockery of this thing. And, you know, I can remember talking to my dad at that time, who had played in the 1960s, and... 
He said, I hope he hits 100, makes a mockery of this thing. It's a joke. And, you know, he didn't like it. And I don't blame people who don't like it, but I also think, like, when you walk into the Baseball Hall of Fame, the fact that Pete Rose, Shoeless Joe Jackson, Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, that they're not in there, it it tells me, like, we're selectively choosing what was historical and what was not. And we're doing it again with Aaron Judge. Like, we don't know. We don't know anything about what's going on other than Aaron Judge hasn't tested positive and that the players on the field largely haven't tested positive. Fernando Tatis Jr. did. Now we know. But if he comes back and he had 75 home runs next year, what are we going to do with him? They're going to put him in the Hall of Fame. They should. Because it did. It happened. We can't ignore things that happen. John Platts is coming up. Stanford radio broadcaster. David Shaw and the Cardinal coming to Autzen Stadium. What should we expect? He's going to tell us. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Oregon and Stanford will mix it up at Autzen Stadium on Saturday night, 8 o'clock. Late kickoff. Pac-12 after dark. Dan Lanning, Oregon coach, talking about Stanford this week. You know, we, we spent time this morning talking about, you know, really the variety of ways that we've won this season and the variety of teams that we've played. And I think you just kind of can continue on where do we need to grow? You know, where do we need to build for us to be a complete team? You know, we've proven we can win in some different settings and some different, um, you know, some different ways. But this is a team that we have to bring our best for. And it's really, just like I've said every week, it's about Oregon and our improvement. Um, and we have a lot of respect for this team. You know, this team, uh, you know, shortened our season last year, or at least didn't, you know, our, our, some of the guys in our room, they still have a bad taste in their mouth, you know, from playing these guys before. So uh, that's not far from their minds, and playing to our best is. So that's, that's really what we focus on. Stanford and Oregon, Saturday night, 8 o'clock, Autzen Stadium. John Platts, Stanford radio broadcaster, joining us. Man of the world, attorney, former Stanford athlete, John Platt's with us. Um, look, you heard Dan Lanning talking there, John. Um, you know, the bad taste in some of the Ducks' mouth from last year. How's Stanford approaching this week? Well, John, first of all, nice to be with you. Uh, you know, for Stanford, it's we're playing Oregon, and Oregon has its own separate luster. Uh, you know, the, the history for Stanford in the last decade or so playing the Ducks, I mean, beating top number one ranked Oregon in 2012, I think it was. Uh, 2013, Oregon was number two. And then last year, Coach Lang just referenced it, I want to say the Ducks are rated number three. So Stanford has a, a glorious recent history. But the, 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 the Cardinal players know Oregon's tough. I mean, you, you got to bring it every time you play the Ducks, and especially so when you play on the fast track at Autzen. Do, do Stanford's players get up for this game in a way that's different than other games. I, I have always looked at the Oregon-Stanford games and gosh, got, and asked myself, gosh, do, do the Stanford players really look forward? Do they circle this game? You know, I, I don't think they do that, John. And I think one of the hallmarks of the David Shaw tenure is, I mean, he's real good about coaching, I mean, teaching them and then coaching them on game day in the locker room. Look, we're not going to get too high. We're not going to get too high. I know it's a cliche. But he, he, he really works to do it. So I think, I think individually when the players are going through the week thinking about the opponent, I, I do think Oregon, you know, has more juice in their minds. But as far as habits and 
trying to approach Oregon as it would be any other game. I, I, I really do think Coach Shaw works hard to do that. And so I, I, I would lean toward, in terms of mental preparation and warm-ups and all that kind of stuff, it's, it's pretty much the same Oregon as vis-a-vis the other games. Health-wise, uh, I know Stanford's going to be without some players for a variety of reasons, but how will that affect what we see on the field on Saturday, John? Well, for, for Stanford, uh, E.J. Smith is the, is the headline guy not, not being there. Of course, that's Emmett Smith, the great NFL back son. Number one running back coming into the year had an electrifying 87-yard run from scrimmage on the first scrimmage play of the season. And he's gone for the year now, so that makes that that brings Casey Filkins. I know it's a name familiar to your listeners, great Oregon high school player. He's now he's now the number one guy at running back, and he, of course he can he can he can run it between the tackles. He can catch passes on the outside. Uh, had a nice game last week, John, against uh, the Huskies. Twenty carries for a hundred yards, and and he he looked good doing it. I mean, there was you know I I use this comparison respect, respectfully and advisedly, but there's a little little Christian McCaffrey. You know, here and there in terms of what Casey Filkins does, kind of the way he shoots through a gap, the way his feet continue to move. And so I'll be excited to, to see him take the next step. It's obviously it's another tough front seven in Oregon uh, for Casey Filkins, but that, that that's what that's the guy we're all watching to see. Uh, you know, how does he take on another tough opponent on the road this week in Oregon? John Platt's with us, Stanford. We talked yesterday on the show about David Shaw. He, you know, he's had three Rose Bowls. He's had great success. He struggled in the last couple of few years, and this season looks like it's going to be another struggle. The job security of David Shaw was on our minds yesterday, John, as we kind of kicked it around. And I made the case that you know he he does some things with the boosters, forward facing, public facing that Stanford loves. He also has got those three Rose Bowls, and Stanford's a little different community. Like, maybe it's not all about winning big at Stanford. There's also the transfer portal, and the game is changing. And Where does your head go when, when you talk about David Shaw and his, his job security and the landscape of college athletics? Well, there's boy, a, lot, a lot of angles to, to, to talk about this one. I'll try and hit, hit the high notes, and I'll, I'll admit to being biased because I – I'm an enormous fan of David Shaw personally. I wouldn't say we're particularly close. We work together, obviously, on the broadcast. But what he does, the way he I mean, he really does fancy himself an educator and in the whole sense of the word. And that's just not coaching, you know, coaching up guys or educating the guys that are going to have a chance at the NFL. But for the other 98% or 99%, it's about, you know, are we giving you enough time for your studies? Uh, if you're a senior, do you need a do you need a recommendation? At Stanford, John, there's all manner of speaking engagements that David Shaw, as the football coach, sort of porch-facing member of the university community, is asked to do, and he does it beautifully. It could be a TED talk to the entrepreneur community. It could be, uh, to, you know, to alumni group in, in some city three hours away, and he he just he does all of it. And, he, and he's marvelous. I, I maintain that the two most prominent Stanford alumni for any audience, not just sports, are Jim Plunkett, the Heisman Trophy winner in 1970, and, and David Shaw. So that's the backdrop. D- David wants to win. Uh, look, I, I experienced it personally after games. He, he takes losses hard. I mean, he's, he's trying to win every one of them. Uh, but he, you know, further to my comment a little earlier, he does have perspective, and he, he, you know, he, he kind of swallows it. You know, the, the coaches all take Sunday morning off, and then they attack the next week, Sunday afternoon, and, and, and go after that. So uh, I think Stanford is an unusual deal. I think 
David Shaw has a lot of capital because of what he's done. I mean, three Rose Bowls, John, uh, how many schools can say that? And Sanford won two of them. Does that give you tenure? No. But does that give you a lot of goodwill when on the other dimensions of the job, 11 of the 12 dimensions, you, you are A or A+. Plus? I mean, there's a, there's a lot of rope there. So I, I don't I, – the issue of job security and, and David Shaw, look, it's above my pay grade. I don't make those decisions. But I think he's got a lot of rope. The, the transfer portal and name image likeness, you know, Stanford's not alone in having a disadvantage there. I think Cal's in that same boat. There are some other universities – you know, Northwestern, Vanderbilt. There's some other places that, that are not going to be able to go and get a Caleb Williams in the portal or not going to be able to get, you know, a Michael Penix Jr. in the portal. Stanford's got to find an angle there. Stanford has to find a way. Is, is, is there an easy way there? I mean, David Shaw bringing recruits to campus early. I noticed that he did that the last two seasons. It looked like in the spring he let, let some young players come in. And it, it looks to me like he's trying to level that playing field. No, he is absolutely right. You, you mentioned uh, uh, two. Uh, actually, it was three this past year. There were two the prior year, so five total have entered school, entered Stanford in the, in the winter. And you know, just just getting that to happen, cutting through the the, the Stanford you know rules about that kind of thing. Because Stanford has well thought out methods of educating its undergraduates, and it's predicated on everybody arriving in September. And yet, with football, sort of as a nod, John to the changes in Stanford having to compete in different ways, uh, that, that that part changed. You know, David, NIL, I don't, John, for NIL for Stanford, it's just they're, they're always going to be trailing the pack, I think. I mean, again, I'm not privy to those meetings, and there may be some little things going on, but certainly Stanford is not going to uh, compete on the NIL front. I think for David, it's, look, we got a world-class education for you that's going to benefit you for the next 35 years, whether you play professional football or whatever else you do. And, and that's, that's the lure here. And I'm going to coach you to maximize you on the football field and on this other, and, and, and in these other areas. And I think I think David's hanging his hat. You know, John, he is so – the players he targets, he can get. I mean, he has so much uh, charm in, in, in living rooms and, he, you know, he can talk on any subject. So I just – I think David, David is the Stanford way coach if there ever was one. And if David Shaw moved on, which I don't anticipate, uh, it, would, it would take a lot, I think, for somebody to sort of replicate the way he does things. I think then Stanford trailing an NIL would really hurt. John Platts, Stanford Radio with us. Let's talk about you know what Stanford's doing well, because we did see Stanford last season against Oregon on a given day play very well. Tanner McKee at quarterback, his receivers. Where are the bright spots for Stanford right now? I think you just, just named a couple of them there. The quarterback, Tanner McKee, who's now in his third year in the program, and John, a, a, just a, a, a whole bench full of upper-class, big, experienced pass catchers. I, I don't use receivers. I use pass catchers because that embraces both the tight end and the wide receivers. I think Oregon fans just have, just have to think about or harken back to the, the game last year. How did Stanford come back in that game? It was throwing the football downfield in the final minute to a variety of receivers, and then in the overtime, a pass to a receiver, John Humphreys, uh, got Stanford the lead, and then they were able to preserve it in, in the uh, Oregon's possession in overtime. So I guess throwing the ball downfield, John, big receivers are all 6'2 or taller. Again, all of the, the main guys, six of them are, are juniors, or if third, fourth, or fifth-year guys in the program. Two or three of them, I think, have a real legit shot to play in the NFL. Michael Wilson, who hardly played last year, 
had six catches for 176 at Washington. But Bryson Tremaine was the best player last year up until he broke his foot in the Oregon game. Elijah Higgins was the guy that caught the fade to tie the game against Oregon. John Humphrey, six foot five, was the guy that caught the ball in the overtime period. I didn't even talk about Ben Urosak, who was a John Mackey Award candidate uh, for the Outstanding Tight End Award nationally. So Stanley's got a lot of pass catchers, and if Tanner McKee can get them the ball, stay clean, uh, Stanford can score points on anybody. John, uh, the offensive line, also some starters potentially out there. How good has that line been? Uh, I know that's a big part of what Oregon likes to do on defense. They're, they're going to try to make Tanner McKee uncomfortable. Yeah, no, that's that's something to watch for sure. Stanford had one. its mammoth right tackle, Miles Hinton. His, his father, Chris Hinton, was a longtime NFL player. He was out for the Washington game last week. That was a factor. Uh, the left tackle, Walter Rouse, left the game and came back into the game, so, and that was part of the reason Tanner McKee was under duress. Uh, having uh, My understanding is, is Hinton is questionable for the game on Saturday, but Rouse, Rouse will, will play. So those guys playing solidly uh, is very, very important. Again, that's, a, that's, a, that's an elder statesman group, too, that offensive line, um, and they've got, to, they've got to play solidly. I mean, I think, they were, they, they, I think they, they were disappointing last year by Stanford standards, they played better this year, uh, but that will definitely be a big key in the game is how well are they able to handle Oregon's pressure and packages so that Tanner McKee will have time to get the ball with big targets. What would beating Oregon on Saturday night mean to David Shaw and Stanford? Well, it would it would uh, ameliorate the, the pain of the last couple of weeks losing to USC and, and Washington. Uh I'd be, John would be a big shot in the arm, just like the other Oregon wins. I mean, I, you know, you asked the question about how do the players view Oregon. I could tell you that after the game, when Stanford has beaten a highly ranked Oregon team, it, it is an enormous feeling because it's a, a major accomplishment. Because David Shaw teams have won at Austin three times, I think, in David's tenure. I mean, that that laps the field in terms of opposing coaches, I believe. And and every one of those, or the, the couple games, uh, that wanted Otson near the end of the game, both the over, the uh, overtime games in 2012 and 2018. I, I, I was on cloud nine leaving the stadium because I know the enormity, or I felt the enormity of what Stanford ha- had done. So, it, I mean, you know, a, a win is what Stanford wants now at one and two to get even, but but let's not kid ourselves. Beating Oregon is, a, is an extra shot in the arm times, times 10. John Platts, Stanford Radio. All right, you've seen some of this conference. You've seen USC up close. You've been there for the Stanford games right now, John. Give me who do you think ends up in Vegas as you look at the field right now? Who are the best two teams in this conference? Well, having seen, seen having seen most of them at length, I've seen all of them a little bit, but most of them at length. I mean, I'm you know I'm I'm, I'm starting to buy stock in Washington. That's for sure. Um, they, I mean, we know that Washington, Washington has dudes, right? They, the guys that can play on both sides of the ball. But Kalen DeBoer's offense with the motion and the shifts and the way they use the entire field, uh, I'm starting to become a believer. I still think, John, that I'm still USC. What Lincoln Riley brought to Stanford Stadium a couple of weeks ago, um, I mean, they just, they, they, I don't want to say carved Stanford up, but it seemed like every play call was where Stanford was, was not flowing. Uh, it was it was a marvelous display of play calling by by Lincoln Riley. So I'd have to say right now, I'd have to say right now, I'd go with USC and and Washington again. Utah's one of those teams that I haven't seen a lot of, but the uh, the, the two quarterbacks at FC in Washington, Caleb Williams and Michael Penix Jr. Again, those guys 
combined with the schemes that Lincoln Riley and Kalen DeBoer are running, that's that's a recipe for a lot of points in these conference games. And so I, I think I'd go with those two at this point. John Platts, I will see you down the road. Uh, travel safely and good luck to you. John, thanks so much. Enjoyed being with you. There he is, John Platts, Stanford Radio, former athlete at Stanford, and you can hear him on the broadcast if you tune into Stanford Radio. Uh, who are the best two teams in the Pac-12? Right now, I think Utah. And uh, I'm going to I'm gonna make a little bit of a squirrely pick here. Steven, I want your picks as well. But I'm going to pick Utah and Washington to get to Vegas. Am I crazy for thinking that the Huskies can slip into Las Vegas as one of the two best teams? I don't think you're crazy, but what I want to see from Washington is the, this week. Can they yep. go on the road and win? They haven't had a road game yet. You know, it's a lot easier to look great at home as they have, and they've looked great. But I know that UCLA has been great. But go on the road, beat UCLA, then I think I can buy in. Right now, I'm going to go with Utah and Oregon still. Those are the picks before the year. I'm going to stick with those. I like what I've seen out of Utah ever since that loss. And I think Oregon is just going to continue to get better and better as the year goes on. So I don't think you're crazy, John. I just want to see it first. I need to see it before I really buy in. My Part of my reasoning is the schedule. You, you know, Washington, if Washington had to play – you know, games against Utah and USC, I might feel differently. But that's a two-game advantage that they're getting somebody else but not getting Utah, not getting USC. Now, it may be an advantage to Utah and USC that they don't have to play Washington. But I look over at, you know, Oregon State, Washington State, and some others that we might consider fringe contenders, and I go, hey, they have to play both those teams and they have to play everybody else. Oregon does not have to play USC, so there's a bit of, there's a half game advantage there, or one game advantage to Oregon in this equation. But I think the I think right now we're gonna this weekend is gonna cause massive separation because you got Washington on Friday night going to UCLA. We're gonna find out which one of those teams is a pretender. I suspect it's U, UCLA. We'll, we'll talk about it more in the four o'clock hour. But we're also gonna see Utah at home against a really good, solid Oregon State team. Utah should win that game. If they do, I feel like they're really in the driver's seat, and I'm really curious to see how they look against Oregon State because now we have a common opponent for USC. Uh, Oregon State will have played them both. Who's better? Like uh, I'm going to ask Oregon State players after the game, who's, which one of those teams is better in your mind? Because they, uh, they will not lie to you. They'll give you a good sense. They'll be like, no, 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 USC's, USC's better. Utah is better. So I think, it's, I think Utah is going to get there. So I'm left with USC, Washington, Oregon as kind of that trio of those are the next three. And then after that, I think it's Oregon State and Washington State. So I'm leaning right now with Utah and Washington. I could see Oregon getting there. I could see USC getting there. But right now, that's how I feel. Sean, do you have a feel for this? Yeah, I'm looking at the schedules. I think this is all going to come down to schedules. You know, I think these teams are pretty even. You know, this top four, maybe top five teams are all pretty even. And Utah's next four weeks, John, Oregon State this week, and then they go to UCLA, and then they host USC, and then they go to Pullman. And it's just, you know, I think they're at least going to lose one of those games, if you ask me. And Washington has it easier, and USC has it easier. I think those are the two teams that have the easiest schedules moving forward. And that's my pick right now, USC and Washington. There you go. I want your picks as well. Tweet at me, at John Canzano BFT. Later in the 4 o'clock hour and early in the 5 o'clock hour, we'll give our picks for the week. Anna will join us as well. Top of the hour, Jaden Grant, Oregon State team captain. 
Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Jaden Grant coming up, top of the hour. Team captain, Oregon State. He's the guy. We're going to tell a shark story in the 4 o'clock hour as well when Anna joins us. We'll give our picks coming up as well in the 4 o'clock hour. That hour will move fast. Uh, At 5 o'clock, we'll give you the 5 at 5. Every day on the show, though, we give you the big splash. This one uh, is not a surprise. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The big splash. Yankees, Blue Jays, top of the seventh, 3-2 pitch. And the 3-2. Drill deep to left field. This could be it. See ya. He's done it. Number 61. He's been chasing history, and now he makes it. He and Roger Maris are tied with 61 home runs. There it is. This could be it. Roger Maris, uh, I won't say move over. But uh, I will say, uh, you know, you've got company at 61. Michael Kay on the call there, he paid tribute to Phil Rizzuto on the call uh, by uh, talking the way he did. But it was uh, also, uh, do you think he had a great call there? You guys, you guys think it was a great call? I mean, it was it was fine. It wasn't anything special. Um, you know, I, I'm just pulling the, uh, we can compare later. I pulled the Spanish call of it. Okay. Um, it was pretty good. But, yeah, I mean, I think it was a normal call. It wasn't anything special. But, uh, you know, I, I appreciate that out of the announcers. This could be it. It was the same line that Phil Rizzuto used when Maris hit his 61st home run in 1961. So it was kind of an inside, uh, inside move there for Yankees fans. Coming up, we'll talk to Jaden Grant, King Jamba. They are trying to pivot. They've got a tough task in front of them as they go to Salt Lake City. But Oregon State... Oregon State looks all the way back, don't they? We'll talk to Jaden Grant next. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with a bald faced truth. Oregon State had USC. Had them on their heels. They had them. We all saw it. I was there. A lot of you were there. They had them. We're going to talk about that with Jaden Grant coming up. We'll also talk about Utah. Big challenge for Oregon State this week on the road. This segment of radio is brought to you by Jamba. Kick off the college football weekend right with Jamba. Stop by one of your locally owned and operated Jamba locations or download the Jamba app. And start earning points now. Jamba, life is better blended. Jaden Grant joining us. How you doing, man? When do you guys leave? Give us an idea, like it's some insight into the life of a college football player. You got a game on Saturday. What's kind of the itinerary for you guys when you, you know, you bus out, you fly out? Yeah, it, it, it kind of depends on what time you leave. Um, I think tomorrow we'll probably leave around 1, 2 p.m. So wake up, have like a, a 7.30 wake-up call, um, basically go to breakfast, uh, go to meetings, team meeting, and then uh, go hit a walkthrough 
and then after walkthrough, you have like 45 to like an hour and a half, you know, to gather your things or go home or do whatever, and then come back, hit the bus, and then head to the airport. The way that you guys travel, uh, you know, is it you know, is it different than when you like you're you're going on a trip with family or friends somewhere and you you're going through TSA and all that? Uh, yeah, it's, it's different because we charter, so we we fly out of Eugene, so we drive down there. And then, um, you know, pull right up. And sometimes, you know, everybody goes through security. Sometimes it's just, you know, a few people. So that's nice. And then uh, we actually get Jamba Juice, you know, right before we get on the flight. There you go. See? Like that. Jaden Grant with us. All right. How do you decide who sits where? Do the veteran players get the good seats? Like who? The big guys get the good seats? Like how? how who decides that? Yeah, that's all. My guy, DVD, he, he chooses the seats every year. Like that. You know, you want to know a story about DVD? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so DVD was about nine years old, and for listeners, Daniel Van Der is the director of football operations at Oregon State. DVD was 9, 10, 11, 12. We grew up in the same small town in California, and DVD played on my dad's Little League team. And I would umpire, the, I would umpire those games, Jaden, and so I was behind the plate. DVD would be at bat. My brother would be on, like, second base. And now all these years later, I look over, and that guy's running the show over at Oregon State. <laughs> yeah, DVD's the man. He's been, he's been there in Corvallis for quite some time, you know, knows the area. Um, and, you know, everybody who I, I know has been in contact with him or knows him, you know, only has great things to say about him. So, he knows, DVD. Yep, he knows everything, man. And, you know, I asked him the other night, you know, he, he has never been to a college football game as a fan. And I said to him, like, have you ever just gone to a game? And he's like, I've never, never went to a game because he went to San Jose State and football wasn't a big deal there at that time. And so yeah. uh, it's it's, it's kind of weird. Like the, you're giving him his only college football experience that he's ever had in his life. So uh, let's let's go back to uh, last Saturday night. First of all, it was crazy loud in there. Did it feel that way to you on the field? Uh, yeah, it definitely was loud. You definitely could feel, you know, Beaver Nation in the atmosphere and. Uh, yeah, especially those moments on, like, third, fourth down. Uh, I remember it being real loud. They seem to be having some trouble getting either getting the play in or hearing at the line of scrimmage. And I, I don't know if that has happened in your time at Oregon State. I can't remember it being a bigger factor than it was Saturday. I want to give some credit to the crowd for that. Oh, uh, no, yeah, for sure. That's that's probably definitely the loudest it's been, you know, since I've been there. Even, even with the stadium, you know, being like that. Um, definitely the the loudest and, and, and the craziest atmosphere you know that I've been a part of you know at Oregon State. Give us an idea defensively. You guys were lights out for most of the game. Maybe until that last drive that they had, you guys just played really well. What was going right for you? Um, I mean, I think we were just executing the game plan really well. Um, Coach Bray, Coach Blue, you know, he put us in positions to be successful, and uh, we just did a good job of communicating with one another. And, you know executing the game plan the uh the end of the game you know it, it it was unfortunate it went the way it went it had to be hard for you guys i know a lot of the fans leaving the stadium i was kind of walking around the stadium and i could hear them it was painful um you know and, and players will always say the losses you take the losses harder than maybe you celebrate the wins what did that feel like to you guys you know as you walk back into that locker room on saturday night I mean, it was definitely, uh, you know, a really uh, tough pill to swallow, you know, with being such a back-and-forth game. 
Um, but at the end of the day, when you turn on the tape, and you know, even in the aftermath, right after the game, um, you know, you have to accept that you you had opportunities to make plays, you know, to win the game, and uh, you didn't make the plays. They uh, they ended up making the plays. So um, it is what it is. You watch the tape, you correct it, um, you take responsibility for it, and then you improve and move forward. You get Utah this week. Uh, they uh, talked to Kyle Whittingham, their coach. He mentioned right away last year's film and the fact that you guys ran all over them and blocked punts and you you uh, you threatened to spoil their season a year ago. Um, this game feels big. It feels big for them. It feels big for you guys. What do you see on film? Um, you know the same things that you, you've been seeing for, with Utah for the last you know few years. Just really tough nosed, well coached team. Um, you know, they're going to hit you with a hardball run game, and then they also have a dynamic quarterback, you know, who's really accurate and is also mobile with his feet. So they're definitely explosive on offense, and I know they're a well-rounded team, you know, on defense and special teams as well. So it's going to be a really big ta- a really big challenge for us, you know, to go in there on the road in a hostile environment, and, you know, like we always do prepare to win. You guys – seem to be up for the challenge with Caleb Williams. You get Cam Rising, another great quarterback this this week, and receivers. Um, you know, when you get a matchup like that, I know you look at film, you're a film guy, but, you know, how much extra is there when you when you get an opponent like Caleb Williams or you get an opponent like Cam Rising and you get an opportunity to get out there and compete? Um, I mean, it's, it's always good when you get to go against, you know, great players like that. But um, when you go to talk about being process-oriented, it all goes back to your own preparation, you know, how you prepare. And, you know, we talk about having faceless opponents around here. And uh, for us, that means just focusing on what we can control and that's, you know, the in and out, how good can we be on each and every snap. So that's what we focus on every single snap. Um, We try not to – we try – we don't try to, you know, think cool we're facing a certain guy or, you know, go harder because we're facing a certain person. We try to, you know, attack each week the same. You guys, you know, are in this thing. And, and I told your coach yesterday, I said, you know, I don't think anybody's going undefeated in conference play. It hasn't happened in 12 years. And so you can have, you, you know, I don't want to say you get a mulligan, you know, but you can get a loss in this thing and still get to Vegas. Uh, you know, I, I, that has to feel good to you guys that, okay, you know, you, you dropped one, but you get an opportunity to come right back and you can do something about it. Yeah, definitely. Um, for us, you know, like we talked about all our all of our goals and aspirations are you know still within our reach. So you have to take it back to the process and you know take it week by week. Really, you know, we can't really get caught. Definitely not thinking behind or you know looking too far ahead. Um, you just have to take it day by day, snap by snap. So um, you know, this week it's Utah. We got a really big challenge, a really tough opponent, and uh, like we say, we've been preparing to win all week. How did that yoga class go this week? I had, that that had to be nice, you know. You for pe- people who don't know, Jaden's taking yoga. <laughs> I, I keep thinking yeah, well, about that. I actually dropped it. What? Cause <laughs> yeah, I dropped it because I didn't know it was Tuesdays and Wednesdays. I mean Tuesdays and Thursdays, so I picked it back up online. Too rigorous. <laughs> it was too rigorous. I here I was yeah, driving around. I've been telling everybody, Jaden's living the life. He's got this yoga class. Now I gotta tell everybody, you know what? He dropped the yoga class. It got even easier. That's that's great. Yeah, I mean I mean I, I dropped it but I picked it back up online. Oh, okay. So you're just doing it at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, like me. I'm doing yoga at home as well. Jaden Grant is with us. Hey, listen, uh, I really appreciate you joining us every week. I, I, you know, it's, it's a lot easier, I think, to come on and talk and be in a good mood after a win than a loss. But I, I think you guys know. I mean, I think you guys know what the task is in front of you. And I, I got to give you guys credit. Saturday night was a lot of fun to watch. You guys were competing. You were right in there. You guys, Oregon State is right in there with the best teams in this conference right now. That has to feel good to you. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think for us, we're just trying to embrace the moment. You know what I'm saying? Just trying to really accept the challenge of, of not, you know, just winning every week. But, you know, how good can we be, you know, from an individual level to a team level? So, uh, yeah, it's been really fun being out there with the guys flying around. Um, you know, we had a tough loss last week but obviously you know we're really excited and really looking forward to bouncing back this weekend so we can't wait for it all right i will be there in salt lake uh look forward to seeing you there and good luck to you and travel safe thank you very much there he is Jaden grant king jamba get into your locally owned jamba location ask for the Jaden grant special he's got a drink named after him um a couple of really interesting takeaways there now, first and foremost, he dropped the yoga class, Stephen. He dropped the yoga class, and he picked it back up as an online class. Online yoga, that's that's me watching TV. That's next level. <laughs> so he has no in-person classes now. And granted, he's a seventh-year senior. Don't at me on this one. Seventh-year senior, multiple degrees, just needs to be eligible to play football. He was taking yoga. It was his hardest class. Bo Nix at Oregon heard that Jaden was taking yoga, and he said, you know what, I, sh- I, want- I was looking for that class too. He didn't get it. So now he has dropped the yoga class. I should have asked him if he has a mas- massage gun. Damn it. <laughs> that would have been, yeah, that's next level. If he has the massage gun while doing yoga, I mean, that's good. I mean, I've done yoga while watching TV, so it's like, you know, it's, it's doable. Yoga's, like, very relaxing. I-, I probably could use some yoga in my life. If I weren't so busy, I would work in some yoga. <laughs> but uh, have you guys ever done Pilates? No. I haven't done Pilates. I do a lot of yoga, though. You do a lot of yoga? Yeah, it's so easy. You know, like um, it, on YouTube, just look up yoga. Um, there's all sorts of channels, and it's not a big time commitment, and I could use the stretching. You know, it's helped me a lot. Uh, not as much the meditation part that I'm yeah. at. It's more the stretching. And like Steven said, I'll, I'll have a football game on, and, you know, like it's it's pretty easy. All right, so you, your next assignment, Sean, is to get to a Pilates class. Okay. Because you're going to run in there, and you're going to see some 78-year-old woman at the front of the class who gets there early, lays her mat out. She looks like she weighs like a buck 18, and she'll, she's the strongest human being on planet Earth. Like, you, you, certain, you soon realize uh, that you're the weakest person in the room. Oh, you should have seen me on the stair stepper today, though. <laughs> I love it. See, that's what we're all about. Uh, were you thriving on the stair stepper? Yeah, oh. what were you? What were you doing there? Stair stepper had no chance today. <laughs> yeah, all you needed was your Halloween costume. You would have been still waiting. I've been checking the mail every day, John. Oh, it's coming. I'll let you know because I, I I got a uh, I got a confirmation of the order while doing so. yoga or Pilates. In That's Halloween right. Costume. That's right. <laughs> He's just thriving, man. He's just thriving. Leave it here. Our Pac-12 picks coming up. Plus Anna's popping in and a shark story you'll want to hear. <laughs> Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game.
We're going to talk some college football coming up on the show. We're going to give our picks for the week. See if we agree or disagree. I had a great week last week with the picks. If you are a degenerate gambler who follows my advice, you did really well last week. Uh, I was 5-1 and one straight up last week. I'm now 30-8 and eight just picking winners. I was 4-2 and two against the spread last week. I'm 21-17 and 17 against the spread. I'm almost ready to quit all my jobs and go to Vegas. Anna, you support me? Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Does it sound like a plan? Yeah, yeah, that sounds like a long-term winning strategy. I think I'm just going to bet money lines, Stephen. You think I should just play, be playing money line, money line, money line? Yeah, I mean, if you're uh, 30 and 9, don't you 30 think? 30 and 8. 30 and 8. 30 and 8. Uh, sorry, sorry to you know knock you down or <laughs> lost there. but uh, defensive money. Yeah, yeah but uh, no, I mean, if you're doing that, yeah, might as well. You know what my problem is with the, with picking winners? Cal. I think I'm I've lost three in a row with Cal. Of my eight losses, Cal gave me three of them. So whatever your instinct is on Cal, just Go. do the opposite Jerry, next time, just right? Just do the opposite, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> Surprised that Steven didn't beat me to that. Costanza. <laughs> um, I want to tell a story here. Oh, wait, here's George. Well, here's your chance to try the opposite. Instead of tuna salad and being intimidated by women, chicken salad and going right up to them. Yeah, I should do the opposite. I should. If every instinct you have is wrong, then the opposite would have to be right. Yes. I will do the opposite. I used to sit here and do nothing and regret it for the rest of the day. So now I will do the opposite and I will do something. There it is. <laughs> The light went on for George. Oh, I love Seinfeld. That's right. just a masterpiece. We're going to talk uh, our picks in college football coming up. Before we get to that, Anna, we got to tell a story about the Shark Tank. Do we, though? I, only if they want to hear it. Okay. Sean and Steven, you want to hear the Shark Tank story? I do. Okay. That's <laughs> <Yeah>. enough. <laughs> By the way, we were showing uh, some friends of ours your superpower last night. If yeah. the people who don't know, Steven can take his shirt off. Like a Chippendale dancer on fast forward motion. He just rips that shirt off like it's a tearaway shirt. And it, you know, I've never seen anything more amazing. He put it on Twitter and he tweeted it out. Tell him your handle so people can check it out. At Steven underscore V O N. At Steven underscore Vaughn. V O N. Um, so we were showing some friends that last night. Uh, we went, went over to their house to have some dessert. And then the subject turned to. <laughs> Our shark adventure. Now, Anna, I'm going to tell the story. You feel free to jump in at any time. Sh sounds good. Okay. So sounds good. back in the day, this radio show used to go to Hawaii like once a year. And by radio show, I mean they would send the show to Hawaii, and we would go over to Maui or, you know, Honolulu or, you know, Oahu or Maui or Kona or whatever. We'd go over to one of the islands, Lanai, and we would do the radio show, and we would do a bunch of tourist activities. It wasn't like it was a – it was Hawaii. I'm not complaining. But it was still working because we were required to kind of do the airtime, do the show, talk about things that we did that day. It, it was put on by the uh, Visitors Bureau to Hawaii. I wasn't complaining. But – we got asked to do some things that I wouldn't normally have done. One of them was on Maui at about 7 o'clock in the morning, we were summoned to go into a shark tank in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. 
a real tank out in the middle of the open ocean. So you've seen this on the Shark Week Discovery Channel. You have seen it on social media. They basically have a steel cage that is, uh, you know, 10 by 10 by 10 out in the middle of the ocean. It's tied up to a buoy, and it has some plexiglass around it so that, you know, you can put your hands on the, on the metal cage and not feel like the shark's going to bite you. But the shark's still right there. So Ann and I get to this shark thing at, you know, what were we doing? We were sitting in the parking lot. I remember sitting out there. Yeah. Yeah, we got there early because we didn't want to miss the boat and realized, well, we should probably have something for breakfast. We didn't really know how long this excursion was. So we went to the nearest convenience store and raided it for things like strawberry yogurt and a blueberry muffin. That's right. And I know that. Well, specifically. Okay, so because of yeah, strawberry the rest of the story. and blueberry, <laughs> and we sat in the parking lot. I remember waiting for the dudes who were the boat owners, the shark guides, so to speak, and then there was another couple there who were just there, and this is what they chose to do on their vacation. So it was Anna and I and this other couple, young couple, and the two shark guys, and they put us in this boat, and it's early morning. It's a kind of a small boat, must have been about a 15-foot boat with an outboard motor. And, you know, they start off putt, 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 putt out of the harbor and into the open ocean. And it's a windy day, which means the water's choppy. Yeah, there were actual whitecaps. I remember seeing that. I was like, wait, this is Hawaii. Okay, whitecaps. Yeah, it was whitecaps. And then we we also saw a whale. Do you remember that? I do. Yeah, because it, it was kind of, it started off kind of cool because it was like, oh my gosh, we're going to see sharks and there's a whale. <laughs> and the whale was breaching and it was it was pretty, cl- fairly close to the boat, like we could see it. And yeah. so it was really exciting when we started out. But as we started to get farther and farther away from the dock out into the ocean, I was getting nervous because I don't like water in general. Like I'm not a water person. <laughs> and so... As they're getting out there, I'm also starting to get seasick because it was really choppy, kind of up and down, up and down. Anybody who's ever been seasick knows it's a terrible feeling, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you're kind of powerless against it, and you get to the point where you, you're kind of willing to do anything to just not be in the boat anymore because you would just rather, yeah. you know be in the water yes. uh, anywhere out of the boat would be good yeah looks, looks attractive even around sharks like yeah. i was just ready yeah, to yeah. get out and so yeah. i remember when they got out there they got out there near this buoy and then they they started to be like who wants to go first and i was like me and i was already <laughs> standing up because i was like get me the hell out of this boat sooner i can get in the water the, so- the sooner i won't feel sick because i was ready to honk like i was right <laughs> on yeah everybody who's been seasick knows that moment well, you're almost welcoming it because you're going to feel better after you do. Yes. So uh, he says, who wants to go first? He couldn't even finish the sentence. I was already, like, diving into the shark tank. And they give you a snorkel, and they give you some goggles. So you're kind of like a snorkeler who's out in the middle of the ocean, like far away. Like, it took about 20 or 30 minutes to get out to this buoy. You're in the depths of the ocean, the Pacific Ocean. And, oh, by the way, he's got, like, these giant Lowe's or Home Depot five-gallon buckets filled with squid and fish heads, and he starts chumming the water. Okay, so you're already sick. He's chumming the water, and now here come the sharks. 
I'm in the tank. I, I was in the tank by myself for just a bit, and I noted as soon as I got into the tank, it wasn't any better in the tank because you're still bobbing up and down because you're holding on to the steel t- cage, and it's just kind of <laughs> like, and I was like, this is not good. I'm in the water. He's chummed the water. There are sharks here. I feel sick to my stomach. I can't wait for this to be over. Now Anna's in the cage, and then this other young couple's in the cage, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to throw up. I'm going to throw up, and these other tourists and my wife are going to have to swim in it after I honk. (laughs) Now the sharks were cool. What do you remember about the sharks? Uh, Very little. I mean, they looked scary enough, but I was so distracted. And see, this is the thing that's like, I, all my life, all, like, I had wanted to do a shark dive like this. I, I, for a long time, was like, oh, yeah, that would be so awesome. This is totally something I'm into. But the thing is, you're holding on to the steel bar of this cage that's surrounded with plexiglass, and you're in these choppy waters. So you can imagine that you're riding it up and down like that inside the cage. And at that point, yes, like what we had for breakfast really, really begins to want to like leave our bodies. I, I, I made a conscious decision. I said I can get out of the cage and get back into the boat or everybody seemed to be looking at the sharks. I can just throw up in the opposite direction. No one will see it. It'll float off into the ocean. No one will even know. It won't be embarrassing. So... You know, I didn't have much choice. I just threw up. I threw up in the cage. But the thing that was disgusting was I had the goggles on, and I immediately saw strawberry yogurt and blueberry (laughs) muffin floating around me with my stomach acids and everything else that, you know, whatever it is in that throw up. And... And then for me, yeah. like I have the thing where if I see somebody throw up, it prompts me to throw up. So in addition to already being seasick, I see you throw up and I immediately throw up. And the height of the plexiglass, you're essentially in a giant fish tank yeah. in the ocean. So it's not like the vomit can't is get going out. anywhere. The vomit can't get out. It's just swirling around <laughs> inside the cage. So... You threw up. Yeah. I threw up. Uh-huh. And the other two tourist guys then subsequently <laughs> threw up. And so and so what we had, it was a shark adventure. Yeah. But I have to think the sharks were just coming by going, what the hell is going on in that tank over there? <laughs> what do these people have to eat on their way out here? And, you know, I felt better after I threw up, but I was still swimming in vomit. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it was fantastic swimming in, like, you know, it's one thing to swim in, like, your husband's vomit. It's another <laughs> thing entirely to swim in the vomit of two people that you've just met. True love. Yeah. True love there. Uh, by the way, I think the guy had an omelet. Yeah. That's yeah. That's all Clearly I can had remember an omelet. there. I can remember there. But yeah. there you go. See, guys? But here was the problem. So we have that experience. Then I'm supposed to go back on radio and talk about it. <laughs> And the Visitors Bureau of Hawaii, they're the ones who set this all up. So I had to kind of work around it and go, look, it was cool. You go out there. It was a little choppy today. I left out the part about the vomit because I was like, I don't want to be, I don't want to gross anybody out, you know. And also the fact that they're chumming the waters. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, 
I don't really know about how ecologically sound that is to be training the sharks to come to humans because they're going to get fed. I know? think I think that sharks are probably uh, got the <laughs> entertainment of the day out of that thing. But does that make do you ever guys ever had an experience like that? Have you ever been out seeing the yeah. sharks in the wild? Oh, I've had an experience like that. I think most people have had some experience like that being seasick. I've never been around sharks, but I had a fishing excursion with my dad and brothers once for Father's Day, <laughs> and we woke up so early like 4 a.m so i needed caffeine and instead of coffee i decided to have a cotton candy flavored bang energy drink Whoa. and you can imagine how that went when we got into the middle Oof. of the sea just so gross i will never have one of those drinks again <laughs> oh it's ruined it for the you the worst possible thing i could have put in my body before <laughs> going out into choppy waters for a fishing trip it was awful oh, it's making cotton me sick candy. right now Cotton candy, bang energy. Did you feel better after you threw up? Like, did it get? Did oh, the experience yeah, it, get better? it always feels better after you throw up. It's so painful, but throwing up really is a cure for feeling a lot better. I think you know multiple different circumstances. Did you catch any fish? That's the main thing. Did you? Yeah. Did you net anything? Yeah, you know, it wasn't. It was one of those fishing trips where, like, you you you're kind of like. We weren't on our own. We were with professionals. Um, I, I believe we did catch some fish. Yes, we had some fish to eat later that night, but I'm not sure it was worth it. I'm not a big fisher. Not really. You, you weren't. You weren't thriving out there. I wasn't thriving out there. Right. That was not why. I haven't been fishing since, and this was like three years ago. <laughs> Steven, you ever get been seasick? Uh, no, I'm not a big water guy, so I don't really. I don't really trust water very much. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little. Steven. I mean, I can swim. I could swim to save my life, but. I'm not the strongest of swimmers, so I just don't really trust the water. Doesn't trust water. <laughs> I feel Doesn't like go we to concerts. Be, I think we should be creating a list of uh, things that Steven says. I'm not a mm guy. I'm not. I'm, I'm not, not a, a costume guy. guy. Not a costume guy. I'm not a costume guy. I don't go to movies. <laughs> I'm set my ways. You know. <laughs> yeah. I'm 35. Really I'm not going to change now. All right, we're going to talk some college football coming up. What I'm saying is, if you get out in the open ocean with the sharks. Make sure that you do it on an empty stomach. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, we got a Friday night game in the Pac-12 Conference this week. Friday night, you will get Washington at UCLA, 7.30 kickoff on ESPN. Uh, we're going to go through our picks for the week. Stephen, Sean, and I will go through what we think uh, will happen this week. Uh, I've been keeping track at johnconzano.com of my record against the spread, my record straight up. Uh, I rebounded this week, had a decent record against the spread. I went 4-2. and two. Straight up, I went 5-1. and one. Cal, uh, I, mit, I whiffed on that Cal-Arizona game. Steven, Sean, you should have saved me on that one. Uh, I don't know what to do with Cal, but let's start with the Washington at UCLA game. 7.30, Friday night, ESPN. Um, who wants to go first? Go ahead, Steven. You go first on Washington at UCLA. The spread, by the way, Washington is a 2.5-point favorite in this game. Yeah, I'll go first now. This game is really interesting to me, and just like the uh, the game last week between Oregon State and USC, there's a lot of money coming in in this game. Uh, again, Max Meyer 
Max, yeah, Max Meyer of Caesar Sports, he had a tweet that said, not at the same level as USC, Oregon State, but Washington has gotten over twice as much money wagered on the spread than any other team in college football so far. So everybody is on Washington, and I kind of feel like I'm the other way right now. I mm. need to see Washington go on the road first and win a game on the road to really prove that they are a true contender. UCLA has been in the comfort in L.A. all season long. I know what they can do. I kind of think UCLA is going to win this game. And I don't know. I'm not going to throw a bet on it, but I do think UCLA gets the win uh, outright, so I will take the points in that one. I disagree with you on this one. I love Washington in this game. I think they cover the two and a half. I think they win on the road. I, I just have not been impressed with UCLA. They played a soft schedule, and they haven't looked good in, in winning those games. I, I keep calling them the worst undefeated team in America, but I think we're going to find out. Like Friday night is a great, like, let's lift the lid, and, and it's a reveal. Is Washington as good as some of us think? Is UCLA a pretender or a contender? I think we get that answer on Friday night, but I have it Washington 35, UCLA 27. John, I want to ask a question about yeah. that. What do you take away from the Washington-Michigan State game now that Michigan State seems like they're definitely just not as good as we kind of thought they were? I think we get too caught up sometimes in you know, who beat who and who beat who and who beat who. I just want to look at – I look at Washington and Michigan State, and I go, okay, Washington punched Michigan State in the nose, beat them good. I think we're going to need several weeks to find out if Michigan State is as bad as they looked against Minnesota last week. Mm -hmm. Like, maybe just it was a great night for Minnesota. So, I don't know. I I think we sometimes we look too much into who beat who beat who beat who. And sometimes I think you just have to look at how a team played. Washington played really well in that game. They played really well in all their games. And UCLA hasn't. Like, they just look kind of mediocre to me. I, I, you know, I'm waiting to be wrong, but I like Washington in that game. Sean? I like Washington. I'm with you, uh, John. I, you know, Washington has showed up in every single game this year, and we've had people on this show like Coach Barnum come on and say, that's a really good team. And today, John Platts comes on the show. He saw Washington up close, and he said, that's a really, really good team. You know, and uh, I, I think Michael Penix, you know, he's the nation's leading passer right now. He, he should be in the Heisman discussion more than he is. Washington's having a great year. And sure, this is their first road game, but come on, UCLA, the Rose Bowl on a Friday night with all that L.A. traffic, like I don't expect there to be a crazy crowd there and a lot of noise. I, I like Washington plus the points here. The cover. Here's, here's what I mean on, like, we get too caught up into the who beat, who beat, who. Uh, Bowling Green beat Marshall. Marshall beat Notre Dame. And and Notre Dame's not great, but, you know, UCLA pounded Bowling Green. I don't know what UCLA would do against Notre Dame, you know? And I, I, I think we get too caught up in that sometimes. I need a bigger sample size, you know? And I think anybody on a given day doesn't show up to play, gets beat, you know, or get, looks bad. We look too much into it. So I'm... I'm just trusting my eyes. I've liked how Washington has looked. I haven't liked how UCLA's looked. Yeah, I'm fully willing to be wrong on this. I, I just have a weird feeling that I like UCLA in this game for some yeah. reason, and I hate it. Like, I want to believe no. Washington is a contender to even maybe get to the CFP because that schedule is easy, but I, I need to see it first. John Wilner agrees with you. I mean, if that helps you. He, he's, picking, good. he's picking UCLA. He likes him at home. He, he says Washington's going on the road, UCLA's at home, it's a short week, like, you know, it's weird things happen. Saturday morning, 11 a.m., early rising game, it's, what is it, ham, eggs, and kick butt? Uh, Pac-12 Network game, Utah hosting Oregon State. Uh, Sean, go first on this one. I agree with your pick as, as well here, JC. Uh, I think Utah 
is going to win this game, you know, I think, but I think they squeak it out. I, I think Oregon State has performed in every single game so far, and that they, uh, I like what I heard from Jaden Grant today. You know, the team's hungry, the team's pissed off, and I think they go to Utah, and, you know, maybe the crowd isn't as crazy for Oregon State because of some, some things that you've been saying this week. You know, they, they have that one conference loss. I like Oregon State to go on the road and make it close, but I think they lose by three. I have it 31-27 Utah. The spread's 10 and a half. That's too many points for me in this game. I I think Oregon State will play everybody close or win. And so I think Oregon State will be in every game this year and 10 and a half is too many points even at Utah. The crowd for those early games in Utah not the same as a night game. So I think Oregon State hangs around. I feel the same way. I think they lose close. Steven yeah, I mean, I think the fact that it's so early in the morning does help Oregon State. I think it will eliminate some of the crowd differential you can get there at Utah. I will. I like Utah laying the points in this one. I think Utah, after that loss of Florida, has been on a just on a mission to really put it on teams. I feel like they're going to have a good spot here against Oregon State uh, after Oregon State coming off that emotional loss to USC. Utah knows they got to keep winning. If they, you know, their goals is to get the CFP. They got to keep winning. No more losses. I think Washington, uh, or I mean Utah, uh, gets gets it and gets it done uh, by two touchdowns. Let's move on to Cal at Washington State. Two thirty Saturday, Pac-12 Network. Uh, I've been wrong about Cal. I can't for whatever reason. I should do the opposite. Um, Cal is a four-point underdog at Washington State. I'm picking Washington State, which means, Cougar fans, I'm sorry, you should run for the hills. It's 31-28 Washington State. I don't think they cover the four, but I think they're a little better than Cal. Does it, does this spread seem a little weird to everybody? Like four yes. points only? Because of that, I liked Washington State coming in, but that spread scares me. So for that reason, I will take Cal and the points. Mm. Maybe it's just, you know, just me reading the market wrong, but four points in Pullman where Cal, you know, they haven't been great all season long. It just seems like so little points. So for that reason, I will take Cal based just off the market. Yeah, no, it does seem really weird to me. I mean, we saw last week with Oregon how hard of a place it is to play in Martin Stadium in Pullman. So I like Washington State to bounce back. I think Jake Dickert is a, a really good coach. I think they have a really good team, and I expect them to bounce back against a much lesser, in my opinion, Cal team. Uh, I think Washington State's a contender in this conference, and I expect them to show it. I think they win by 10. Yeah, like that spread, Oregon State, or I mean, Oregon was six and a half point favorites, and now, you know, uh, Washington State's four point favorite, so it's like a ten point difference between Oregon and Cal. Like I feel like on a on a neutral field, it seems like that's still too low. Like Oregon should be more than that. So I I don't know, man. But yeah, I Cal. think one one of the wild cards in that game is you have I I have a lot of respect for Justin Wilcox, the Cal coach. I have a lot of respect for Jake Dickert, the Washington State clo- coach. I think that could be a low scoring game, and I think Cam Ward he's had some shaky moments. He's had some great moments. I think Justin Wilcox will mess with him a little bit. And so I think that we could get, you know, and maybe people just don't trust Washington State after the way they finished against Oregon. Could, could the Washington State defense maybe be a little overrated? Because they could, played because be. Wisconsin's yeah. not very good. Yeah. Um, you know, when they played Oregon, a good offense, they gave up, what, 40-plus. So maybe that defense isn't as good as we think it is. But I agree with you. I like Dickert and I like Wilcox. 29 in the fourth quarter for Oregon uh, last week. So Colorado's at Arizona. This could be Carl Durrell's final game, guys. I, I think if they get blown off the field, there's a chance Rick George, the AD at Colorado, uh, lets Carl Durrell go. Because last week, the cries at the home game from the fans, it was – 
fire Carl. They were chanting it. They are 16.5-point road underdogs going to Arizona, 6.30, Saturday night, Pac-12 Networks. I, I think Colorado's going to struggle. Arizona's better. They're better on offense. They're better on defense. They're playing at home. I, I don't think Colorado can get to 20 points against anybody. So uh, I have it 41-17 Arizona. Yeah, I agree with you. I think this is a game where Arizona knows that they can put it on them, right? And there's not many games in this conference where Arizona's going to have uh, that type of favorite on them. So I think Arizona puts it on Colorado this weekend. I think you're right. Colorado could be out after this week. Yeah, it's exactly my thought. Arizona's going to see an opportunity to pounce, which they don't often have, just kind of with the talent disparity that they have right now. They're going to see that opportunity, and they're going to pounce on Colorado. I definitely think they cover the 16-and-a-half, and I think Colorado's just a hot mess right now. I think Carl Durrell's mistake you know, is going to be on full display, too. Because if you watch this game, anybody who's tuning into this game on the Pac-12 Networks uh, Saturday night, 630, um, you know, Arizona, Jet Fish brought in 21 players via the transfer portal in the offseason. Carl Durrell didn't do that. He needed a quarterback. He didn't get one. And that's the difference to me. Like, I think Colorado and Carl Durrell, he would have saved his job if he could have found a quarterback. He's going with the freshman, McNown, again. And we'll see if the if the kid can bail him out in what will be his second big appearance. Arizona State Saturday night seven thirty they go to USC. Uh, I, you know we're divided on what how good USC is, but I don't think Arizona State has the firepower. They're but they're a twenty five and a half point underdog in this game. I'm struggling with the twenty five and a half. I think USC wins the game easily, but I like ASU and the points. I don't think you're crazy. That is way too many points. And I know that they have, you know, they lost Herm Edwards as a coach, but 25 points is a lot of points for an Arizona State team that is still talented. So I think Arizona State should be able to score some points on USC with that run game. They have a solid run game. Emory Jones has done a decent job. I think they stay within the 25, but USC uh, wins. Yeah, see, I, I disagree. Um, I guess this is just the, uh, the USC. Um, not, I'm not a USC fan, but I just I, I think you they're are. a good team. Um, you're and you're I, a fan. I, what you're, you're getting? You're a fan. You're I hate USC. Yeah, I'm a duck. I hate USC, <laughs> but I think they're a good team. I respect them. Uh, I you know I think they cover. I think Arizona State's basically a corpse right now uh, after the Herm, Herm Edwards deal, and uh, I think USC's capable of blowing out teams. I mean, Fresno State came through this stadium a couple weeks ago. They lose 45 to 17. So I I think that uh, USC, out of all these teams, is very capable of just uh, putting a bunch of points on these bad teams, and that's what they're exactly what they're going to do. I like them to cover. Stanford going to Oregon, 8 o'clock. Man, Saturday night, FS1. Apologies if you're on the East Coast. 8 p.m. kickoff. Stanford seems to play Oregon well. The Ducks are 17-point favorites at home. Uh, I like Oregon to win the game. I'm having a hard time seeing them cover 17, even against a Stanford team that struggled a little bit. I think Tanner McKee will have some marginal success. I think Stanford can get to about 23, 24 points. And I think Oregon wins the game, but I think Oregon wins it by 8 or 10. So I will take Stanford in the points, but I'll take Oregon to win the game. I agree. And Stanford's burned we all season long, just like Cal's burned you. But, <laughs> like, I can't quit them. Like, I think they're going to play close. Um, Oregon wins the game, but I'm with you. Maybe 10 points, uh, 12, 13 points, something like that. But I think Oregon wins, Stanford covers. 
Stanford's battling injuries to some of their best players, and they, they you know, they they're coming off some blowout losses. But I, I agree, the 8 p.m. kickoffs are a little bit wacky. I, I think Oregon's a really good team. They've proved that the last couple of weeks, and I think they win by two touchdowns in this game. There's our picks for the week. You can find mine at johnconzano.com. Tweet at me. Tell me what your picks are. We're back in a moment. Leave it here. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Five at Fives coming up top of the hour. The five biggest things going on Thursday night football. We'll be right here on 750 The Game uh, right around 515 or so. We will cut into Thursday night football. Will you guys watch the Thursday night football, is, or is the interest in seeing the Amazon broadcast diminishing? Yeah, I'm going to watch it. Um, to me, I mean, uh, my team's playing tonight, so of course I'm going to watch it. But uh, no, I. Wh- why? What makes you say that? Why would the uh, Amazon uh, make it diminish it a little bit? No, no, no. The novelty of it, because I think there were some people who tuned in to the Chargers Chiefs game a couple of weeks ago because it was the first time it was on Amazon exclusively. They wanted to see what it was about and. Maybe they're not as into seeing what's going on. Uh, you know, the diehard NFL fan is going to watch it no matter what, but I'm kind of wondering if some of the novelty of it wears off. Cincinnati at Miami tonight on Thursday Night Football. Yeah, not, it's not quite the Chargers Chiefs like it was the first game either as well. Uh, you know, I would tune in anyways, but, you know, it is difficult to have it on Amazon Prime still. I still don't like the fact that, you know, you kind of have to shut everything down to get out of the app unless you have different things going. Um, so there are still some problems, but I think, you know, this is the year you troubleshoot with it and you try to figure out everything. Yeah, yeah. No, I see what you're asking now. Um, yeah, I'm. I, you're talking to the NFL diehard, so I, of course, I'm going to watch it, but I do think that, um, you know, Amazon, people aren't as interested in now. Like, we know that it works, and, uh, you know, I still have my thoughts about the broadcast team. I think it's okay, but it, it's a good product, although I g- agree with Steven. Like, if I was if I was walking to the train station, I would typically, you know, have the YouTube TV app and be able to watch the game that way. But it's just kind of an inconvenience now uh, on my commute home that it's a whole different ball game to get prime going. It's just a whole different app and a whole different viewing experience. I think uh, that, that you're not alone, Stephen. There are a lot of older people who are going, Hey, I don't like having to flip back and forth. I'm not saying you're older, but I'm hearing from like no the 45 and older crowd who are going, I don't like how cumbersome it is, and I can't flip back and forth. And then I'm hearing from a lot of other people going, well, here's the solution. You put your streaming device on one source on your smart TV, and then you have your regular TV channels on another source input, and then you just click the source button, and now you can toggle. Yeah, I mean, I guess that would work. You know, I have YouTube TV, so I kind of have to shut one down, I think. I don't know. My no, wife's smarter than I am. I don't know if you do or don't. Just, just think I'm old. You know, just work on taking your shirt off faster. Yeah, I, I think you called me old. I think it's true. I think that's just confirmed. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I I will watch it, but I'm still into the broadcast. And But I'm not hearing any buzz for that. Like people kind of, you know, oh, they either liked it or they didn't like it. Or maybe there was one more week of people squabbling about it. But I keep thinking about it and I keep framing it around the idea that the Pac-12 could end up on Amazon or the Pac-12 network content, I think, could end up on Amazon and, or Apple. And so I want to, I just kind of want to see how it's working. Yeah, you do know? you think the first couple of weeks has, 
you know, put it in more in a positive light if the Pac-12 went to Amazon or neutral or negative? I, I think it's interesting because I think the calculus between, like, there's a difference between the NFL fan and the Pac-12 fan. Because the, the Pac-12 fan has dealt with poor distribution, can't find the games, Games are on at 7.30 and 8 o'clock at night. Pac-12 Network's not available where I am. I went to a restaurant. They didn't have it. I went to a hotel. They didn't have it. And so I think the Pac-12 fan is oddly more forgiving. And so I think if the Pac-12 Network content were on Amazon or Apple, I think there would be less belly aching. But the NFL fan is spoiled. The NFL fan can get the Sunday ticket, can get the games whenever they want. It's always on Fox or a mainstream channel. And, and, and so that fan, I think, is a little bit more snobby about where the content is. The Five at Five's coming up. We're going to talk some Aaron Judge, talk about what it means. All of that's still ahead. Make sure that if you're listening via podcast that you subscribe to the podcast of this radio show. And if you don't listen to the podcast, you should. Leave it here. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. You guys see what the Queen of Denmark did? No. Anybody? No. No. Big, big move. Big flex by Denmark's queen. I first of all, I didn't know Denmark had a queen, but she uh, she looked at her grandchildren and pretty much decided that they were spoiled, entitled brats. So she stripped four of her grandchildren of their royal titles. That is that is a flex move. <laughs> Queen Marguerite decided that they should go and shape their own existence instead of having to perform official duties required if they kept the titles. They are not happy about this. They get no benefits of their royalty, and uh, apparently they're out on the streets. Well, good for the queen, though. You know what? Those spoiled little jerks don't don't like it. Get out of here. Kids are saying their identity has been taken. Prince uh, Prince Joaquin said, "My children are sad. My my kids don't know which leg to stand on." Welcome to the world. <laughs> Ain't it the truth? Pass the beer nets, Prince. Uh, Denmark's queen takes the titles. Should we should all be able to do that? Should be able to strip the titles. You know what? You no longer have a bedroom to sleep in. You sleep in the living room. You sleep in the hallway. Uh, that's about a, the equivalent in our household. Uh, we're going to play uh, the 5 at 5 here. Uh, we have Thursday night football coming up. It's in Cincinnati. I think I said earlier that it was Miami hosting the game. It's Miami at Cincinnati tonight. Uh, who's your team, Sean? I thought your team was USC. <laughs> My team is not USC. Let me clear that up. Um, I'm, a, I'm a Dolphins fan. Hmm. Dolphins fan. This, got, this like, he's, he's three weeks ago? Did this start, like, three weeks no, ago? No, no, no. That's an offensive <laughs> accusation. No, 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 no. He was okay. so psyched when Ricky Williams was on the oh. show yesterday. I never got to talk to Ricky. He you didn't out. get to talk to him? No, because he, he called late, and then he snuck out as soon as the interview was done. I was going to oh. tell him, I grew up watching Ricky Williams. I grew up a Dolphins fan. My dad was born in Miami, and he passed it on to his children. So, yeah, pretty offensive for you to think that I just became a Dolphins <laughs> fan after all of these years of watching Ryan, Fitz, Ryan Fitzpatrick <laughs> and Matt Moore and Jay Cutler. 
Are you going to go see Ricky tonight? He's uh, he's in Portland. I thought about it. I thought about it. He's doing meet and greets. Oregon he's, City's yeah. a little bit far. Uh, he's going. He's in Portland too. He's got. He, he said the place he's watching the Dolphins game is Oregon City, oh and that's my a little far. Goodness, then from you're Be- not. If that's far for you, what is well, that like? Ten miles? No, no, no. From Beaverton, from my house, it's fifty-five minutes. I did the math. I did it in maps. From here, it's thirty minutes. But I'd miss half the game if I went. Oh, man, some fan. There it is. Sean's not going. To, you know, well, you can catch him tomorrow. He's on the Oregon coast. By the way, I didn't have the heart to tell Ricky this. You know, he sounded really excited about going to the Oregon coast. You know, he's going to Gerhart and he's going to Tillamook and he's going to Astoria. And like, he's seen some of the greatest beaches in the world. Like, it's not like the beaches in the state of Oregon are all world. I don't think that's blasphemy for me to say that. It's more like the coast. Like, it's more like, you know, in California when you're in Monterey or Carmel, it has kind of that rocky, windy, it's pretty, but it's not like the beaches of Australia. Is Ricky going to be disappointed with the Oregon coast? Yeah, because I can't even fathom a beach being, like, hot. Like, I'm used to just, like, a cold <laughs> beach. Ricky, I, Ricky's going to walk out there. He's going to be like, where's the beach? Yeah. I you got a jacket? Teacher. You got exactly. a jacket, dude? Well, is he going for the beach or is he going for the... Uh... Maybe he likes the the cannabis out there. I think he's going for the cannabis. I think he is all about the cannabis. Uh, I'll try to get you in touch with Ricky Williams. I'm sorry you didn't get to talk to him. I I didn't know you were such a Dolphins fan until right now. That's awesome. That'd be great. There you go. All right, let's do the five at five, and I'll rip through it. The five at five. Well, the Chiefs Bucks game is going to remain in Tampa. Hurricane Ian is behaving. They had evacuated the area. The NFL had made a contingency plan, but it appears as though this uh, this is going to happen. This game is going to happen, and the Buccaneers, of course, are going to play this game at their home stadium. The uh, NFL showing the world how important playing the games really is, and I don't blame them for playing the game. I'm just saying it was interesting to me that they were really motivated to make sure that this game got played no matter what. And they, uh, they got that done. So, looks like the game on Sunday is going to take place. Hurricane Ian doing its thing. Aaron Judge, last night on a 3-2 count, stepped into history. Tied Roger Maris with 61 home runs. The left-hander sets and fires, and it's hit in the air. Line drive left field, and Tied Roger Maris's American League record with his 61st home run on the season. And the Yankees jump right back on top. Five. There it is. And here's how it sounded on the Yes Network with Michael Kay on the call. Remember, Phil Rizzuto, the longtime voice of the Yankees, when he called Roger Maris's home run, used the same language. Maisel Judge Batazo profundo por el izquierdo. Olvídala. Esa se va. Se va. Se fue. La número 61 se fue. Muévase un poquito, Roger Maris. Hay otro que se quiere sentar en la mesa. El juez, Aaron Judge. Cool. Aaron Judge. That's the Spanish radio call. My bad. Here's how it sounded on the Yes Network with Michael Kay on the call. And the 3-2. Joe deep to left field. 
This could be it. See ya. He's done it. Number 61. He's been chasing history, and now he makes it. He and Roger Maris are tied with 61 home runs. Aaron Judge at 61. Number three in our five at five, the NCAA is cracking down. They put the Air Force football program on probation for two years today. Recruiting violations. That'll teach the Air Force Academy. They thought they were playing major college football. Get in line, fellas. Number four in our five at five, the Toronto Blue Jays have done something that the Mariners hope to do. They clinched a playoff berth as Boston beat Baltimore. Blue Jays clinching a postseason berth, assuring themselves of at least an American League wild card. If Toronto holds its current position, they will be in the first position of the three wild cards, and they would open a best of three series at home next week. Magic number for the Mariners with the Red Sox win over the Orioles dropped to two. Have faith, Mariners fans. Your time is coming. Finally, Cedric Tillman of the Tennessee Volunteers had an ankle surgery. Tennessee's all-SEC receiver underwent a tightrope surgery on his left ankle. They're hoping he won't be out an extended period of time. High ankle sprain. Obviously, he's a long way from game time, but this is the same procedure that Tua Tagliavoa had twice in Alabama. They take a high-strength surgical thread instead of metal screws. They used to call it the knotless implant system. It's supposed to accelerate recovery for high ankle sprains. Keep an eye on the Tennessee receiver because if this works for Cedric Tillman, and it worked for Tua, it might work for your team's troubled player. That's our 5 at 5. We have Thursday Night Football coming up next right here on 750 The Game. Grab the podcast. It's a great show today, a lot of fast-moving energy. Tomorrow, we got big guests. We'll be visiting with uh, Bill Riley of ESPN in Salt Lake City, among other guests tomorrow. We have another great show for you as we look into the college football weekend. Oregon hosting Stanford, Oregon State going to Salt Lake City, and uh, we have a Friday night game. Maybe we should check in with uh, KJR's softy to see how the Huskies are going to perform at UCLA. The Bald Face Truth, not here for a long time, just a good time.